Hey there, adventurer. I appreciate you taking the time to do an investigation check and dig into the archives of the show. I wanted to let you know that this is an old episode back when the show was called The Hard Thing Podcast. The topics are still the same, though the format and some of the names are different. If instead you are coming back to The Hard Thing Podcast, well, surprise, we changed our name and some of our branding. Feel free to hang out in the archives and listen to all the wonderful old episodes of The Hard Thing Podcast or take on a new adventure by listening to some of our current episodes. Either way, happy adventuring. My wife and I, before we were married, we were climbing up Mount Fuji and uh, we had those really cool, they give you these sticks at the bottom of the mountain and every so often there's a little station, kind of a base camp or whatever, and you walk into this little station and there's this guy or gal in there and they'll brand your stick. Uh, as high up as you go, you get a different brand. So there's 10 levels, basically. It's like a video game. And every time you get to the higher level, you get a new stamp on your stick uh, until you reach the, the summit. This is the Hard Thing Podcast. Today, we are overcoming average. I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Hard Thing Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you overcome average, step up above mediocrity, all by doing hard things. See, we want to help you improve your life in measurable ways by getting you to do those strategic hard things that are blocking you from having an amazing life. We want you to reach your potential. And we want to give you the tips, tricks, tools, tactics, whatever you need to live a fulfilling life. And today is our conversation show where you will hear from me and a guest. And we'll get into that in a second. But I want to ask you a couple favors. First, go ahead and share the podcast with someone you know. Think of who might benefit from talking about money and share this episode with them because I know they will get a lot of value out of it. Second, come visit us at our website, thehardthingpodcast.com as well. Reach out to us on Facebook and Instagram. Connect with us and show us what hard things you're trying to accomplish. Maybe we can help at the Hard Thing Podcast. Uh, last but not least, help us raise $1,000 for Operation Underground Railroad. They are a nonprofit organization that goes undercover to rescue kids from sex trafficking. They're an amazing organization. I volunteered for them before, and they just do so much. And we can help them rescue some kids. So go to GoFundMe.com slash Overcoming-Average. Donate some money today. Now, let me talk to you about today's guest, Mark Willis. He is a financial planner. And today, as well as the host of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, I think is what it is called. Um, but today we talk about a lot of things, starting out with him hiking Mount Fuji and also getting out of $120,000 of student loan debt, which is very difficult to do. But we talk a lot about finances and changing your mindset to look to the future and solving tomorrow's problems rather than only focusing on today's. I found it a very fun conversation. I got a lot out of it, and I know you will too. So listen up to my conversation with Mark Willis. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show, Mark. I am excited to have this conversation. Uh, I'm really in interested to see uh, your perspective on some of the things I've read about you. So uh, very excited. Yeah, glad to be with you, Justin. Right on. Awesome. Uh, well, let's start off with the question I ask all my guests. What is the hardest thing you've ever done? It's, it's, I've been thinking about that question, and man, there's so many different ways to define hard. I'm sure a lot of listeners take it a lot of different ways, uh, your audience. Um, you know, I'll tell you a story. I, my wife and I, before we were married, we were climbing up Mount Fuji, and uh, we had those really cool, they give you these sticks at the bottom of the mountain, and every so often there's a little station, kind of a base camp or whatever. And you walk into this little station and there's this guy or gal in there 
and they'll brand your stick. Uh, as high up as you go, you get a different brand. So there's 10 levels, basically. It's like a video game. And every time you get to the higher level, you get a new stamp on your stick uh, until you reach the, the summit. And uh, I, you know, I, I thought that climbing Mount Fuji, which is basically a giant inactive volcano and basically a giant pile of pebbles, if you get really close to it, it's almost like climbing up pebbles, oh. um, really close to at least the path I was on. Um, and the hardest part wasn't going up. It was coming back down. And uh, coming down Mount Fuji was the hardest thing physically I've ever done. I thought I was going to die like over and over again. And here I am with like my soon to be fiance. <laughs> so I got to look super macho and super, like I got it together. <laughs> but man, it was super scary. I, I read later, and this is a weird kind of uh, statistic, but I read in National Geographic that, um, you know, the, the, the average person climbing Mount Everest is, is, is going to survive, but 85% of deaths on Mount Everest are coming back down the mountain, not going up. And it's weird, but I, I realized that the human body's built better to, inc to climb than they are to go down, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's very strange. I'm curious, what, because climbing Mount Fuji is not something that you just do. Like, what prompted you guys to do that? I mean, you know, young love. <laughs> we just found ourselves in Japan one summer. Uh, uh, we, we loved the, I actually it was a, uh, it was kind of a mentor, you know, this super old Mr. Miyagi type guy in, in Japan that we had been hanging out with and, uh, he had done it multiple times with, uh, with other young folks like us. And, you know, he just would say, you know, oh, just a little bit farther, just a little bit farther. And we would just keep going up the mountain. And before you knew it, we were like halfway up and he's like, just a little bit farther. And, uh, before you realized it, you know, you're like, oh, well, might as well try to finish it. And you can do it. It's not, it's not like um, Kilimanjaro or Everest. Uh, it's, it's something you could probably do in a full day if you start it right at the crack of dawn and mm -hmm. go to the end. Um, but, you know, it's definitely, uh, uh, for me, um, not being a hiker, not really being a mountain climber, it was, it was pretty wild. Yeah. I think that kind of mentor is someone that all of us need who uh, they might be lying a little bit when they say, you know, it, it's just a little bit further, but yeah. uh, we, we all need someone <laughs> like that. And yeah. well, actually, what were the brands? Like, were they just symbols or did they mean something? Yeah, I think, uh, I don't read Japanese, but I think they just were the numbers, you know? Cool. Ichi ni, sanshi. Yeah, and I think it would just kind of go up the, 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 the mountain, one, two, three, up through 10. Well, We now, still got the sticks, by the way. Yeah. That's so cool. I mean, that would be such a treasure just because, again, I don't know anyone else that's ever climbed Mount Fuji. I, I mean, you hear about people climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, but Mount Fuji, not so much. But I bet that was a really good, not metaphor, but symbol of kind of what you help people to do in your day to day. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Going up and coming back down uh, the mountain uh, yeah. for money. Right. Yeah. And, and, in, in reading your bio and kind of learning more about you, the mountain, or at least the first one that in my mind I, I see in your history is, is $120,000 of student debt. And yeah. climbing that mountain and coming back down. Tell us more about that. How did that start? Man, yeah, I almost picked that as like my hardest thing. But <laughs> yeah, we graduated after doing the Japan thing. We we graduated from uh, three private school degrees in the midst of 2008, the Great Recession, uh, and had no jobs. 
had $120,000 of student debt uh, and no, no plan to pay it off, hardly an income to speak of. Um, and we just, you know, we're kind of freaking out because it was sort of a mortgage payment that we didn't ask for. I kind of jokingly say that um, I married two women in college, uh, my wife, my gorgeous wife, and Sally Mae. <laughs> and Sally Mae wanted money every month and it was not getting any easier for us. And yeah, so we just like, we busted it. We ate beans and rice. Uh, and on Friday nights we switched it up and had rice and beans. <laughs> and, uh, we just tried to make it like everything we did was just focused on that one thing. Um, which is kind of cool, refreshing, but at some point we realized Justin, like literally how stupid that was. And and I say stupid kind of very carefully there because I realize how many people are stuck in debt. But if all I ever did was just throw money at the at the hole in the ground of our debt, thinking about it from a big picture's perspective, you know, we were in our young 20s at the time. How much would that have, that money, how much would that that money had grown to, right? What would it have grown to if we had invested that money instead of just throwing it in, in our debts? right? And we had to pay off the debt. But just by throwing all that money, seriously, like we threw about 60, 70 grand at that debt before we realized, holy smokes, you know, we've lost all the opportunity cost of 60 or 70 grand while trying to pay off all this debt. And that's money we'll never see again. And also gone is all that that money would have grown to had we left it invested instead. And that's kind of what got us on, on this not so average journey of what's the right way to pay off the rest of our debt. What's being, what's better than just simply being debt free. And that's sort of what started me on the journey toward personal finance. Wow. And, and I love that story so much because it's one that so many people can relate to, even if it's not student loans, it's just some form of debt that is continually pulling from their wallet. You could say, and you mentioned opportunity cost. Would you mind just explaining what that is just for listeners who might not be aware and that might not even cross their radar yet? Totally. Yeah. That's sorry. That's kind of a $2 word there. Um, you know, tons of vocabulary from the nerd in the room here. No, so, no. <laughs> so opportunity cost. One word sounds great. One word sounds terrible, right? Uh, so what is the opportunity of every dollar in your life? Think about that for a minute. Uh, in fact, let's get rid of money altogether. Let's just think about time. Imagine you've got a perfectly good afternoon, right? Totally free, nothing on the calendar. You know, all the to-dos are checked off. The kids are at school, whatever. You got a free afternoon. Uh, and what are you going to do with that afternoon? Well, if you chose playing video games, then your cost is everything else you could have done with that time had you not chosen video games. So the cost might be, you know, downhill mountain biking. The cost might be a good conversation with a buddy or your, your wife, right? I mean, so it's, it's everything that that time could have had for you had you done something else with it. And that's, a, that's kind of a troubling sort of like glasses half empty way to look at the world. But the same is true with our money. Every time I pay for a cup of coffee, every time I spend money on, you know, a new pair of shoes, that's money I'll never see again, but also gone is all that that money would have grown to had we invested it or put it to work, earning some growth for us. And the younger you are, the more opportunity cost matters. 
Let me say that again. The younger you are, the more it matters, right? What, why, yeah. why would that be? What do you think? Well, I mean, I feel like uh, you could kind of look at it in, uh, maybe, I think the word's geometry, where, mm. you know, two, at, at the point of one angle, two lines are, you know, starting together and they start separating. The more degrees are in between them, by the end, they're going to be very far apart. So I feel like that's wow. why younger people need to really understand this. Yeah, man, you're right. Yeah, like even a 1% savings account, if you're young enough, will look crazy awesome by the time you're 60, 70, 80 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's when we are youngest that this matters most. But unfortunately, it's when we're youngest that we probably least understand how much this matters, right? Yeah, yeah. You start realizing it when you look backwards. Um, someone once told me that life is like a roll of toilet paper. You know, the more you use it, the faster it goes. <laughs> I love that. So what actually, I guess, made you guys realize the depth of the opportunity costs that you guys were just putting into this hole? Yeah. Well, you know, we kind of were, I don't want to say brainwashed, but we had been totally submerged in the Dave Ramsey Kool-Aid to just throw everything we could at our debts. And he's doing a great job. I'm not going to throw anything shade at him, you know, Mm -hmm. doing fine, helping people think about their budgets. But, you know, stop and think for a minute about what he's, you know, this uh, radio host is saying. He's saying, keep a thousand bucks in your savings account and then put everything you can on your student debt, your credit cards, whatever. And that's probably better than no plan at all, right? I'm good for that. But, you know, if, if you think about it, we all have a choice. And a lot of our clients come to, the, uh, come to this question at some point, Justin, and that is, hey, should I be paying off my debt or should I be saving for my future? And that was kind of what we had to come to a decision on. And it was, it was a former uh, professor of ours from college that came to our home. We had gone to school in Texas. He was a good friend and just good mentor of ours. And he flew up to Chicago to be with us for a few days. And he said, hey, I want to sit down and talk to you guys about you know, what you're doing financially. He's, he was that kind of a guy, good, good mentor, good guy. We trusted him, still do. Uh, and, and he said, you know, is there something better than debt-free? And I stopped and thought about it and I was like, well, yeah. I mean, if debt-free is like, you know, level zero, right? If that's just net zero, then anything above net zero is better than debt-free. And he said, well, Mark, is it possible that Dave Ramsey could be wrong about something? (laughs) And that blew me away because I thought, wow. No, uh, obviously not. He wrote the fifth gospel, right? Dave Ramsey is absolutely true about everything. He's, right. <laughs> you know, and so it, it kind of cracked my mind a little bit to just think critically about what I was hearing on this radio show. Uh, so yeah, that's sort of what got us thinking about what's better than just debt-free. How could we actually pay off our debt and build true wealth at the same time? And that's sort of what we built our financial firm around. So you have this mindset, mindset shift. And again, the importance of mentors cannot be stressed enough here. Someone saying, hey, rethink the way that you, you know, you're programming. Figure out if it's really working for you. So you have this mindset shift. What did you do next? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. Uh, so many of us would just move right along to the next thing. Next thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we started digging deeper. You know, we felt like we had taken a red pill. Uh, and the matrix in the matrix was alive to us now, and so we started doing our research uh, and we started asking and questioning and is there something better 
right? Uh, what if there was something better than debt-free? Well, what was it? Uh, so yeah, we started doing our research, stumbling across strategies. I ended up getting my uh, CFP designation to try to learn about the financial universe. Uh, you know, and, and we started a financial firm in the midst of all this to try to help people. This is again, in, is in the middle of the great recession when mutual funds and stocks and bonds, Justin, are looking like, you know, going down. Yeah. You know, 401ks are 201ks at that point. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we're trying to find, you know, our own financial footing and even help other people at the same time. So, yeah, we started doing our research, I guess, is the answer to your question. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so, you, you, you pull all this research, right? What was your action plan? Mm. Yeah, we wanted to find a, a new way of thinking about our debts. We wanted to find a way to capture every dollar and get the most value out of it, not just to pay off our debt, but to try to find a way to get that dollar to work as hard for us over our entire lifetime. Our, our time horizon expanded, Justin. You know, we had only been thinking about every 30 days, you know, how are we going to make the bills this month? And then we started thinking, hey, we'll be debt free in four years. That was our time horizon at that point was four years. And then we started thinking big picture, what over our lifetime and even multiple generations could we do with our money that would have the biggest impact with the least amount of unnecessary risk? And that's really what we started asking. So I was going through my uh, CFP courses and I kept track of this as we were going through it because I knew I'd be introduced to a ton of crazy ideas and financial vehicles. So I started keeping track. I was like, all right, let's just count. How many places could we put our money? And would you believe it? We, I, total, I totaled over 450 different financial vehicles. So no wonder the average guy is confused with what to do with our money, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this could be everything from a you know IRA to a you know college savings account to savings accounts and mutual funds and hedge funds and real estate and annuities and I mean the list kind of went on and on. But uh, you know we were looking for a place that did a few things really well. We were looking for a place to put our money where it would be accessible to us because we needed to use it to pay off our debts. We wanted it to be growing on a predictable basis. We wanted it to be accessible to us without penalties, without taxes due. Um, Justin, we wanted it to be able to like essentially be a line of credit that we could use to uh, pay off our debts and still earn interest at the same time. You know, um, mm -hmm. so, you know what in the world can do that, right? right. Um, so, you know, we didn't want a bunch of uh, paperwork and penalties if we wanted to touch the money. And we were trying to find this better way to pay off our debt. Anyway, uh, we kind of put this list together and we started going through all the different things we are learning on uh, in, in my coursework. And another mentor of ours had brought this idea of the bank on yourself concept to us, which is essentially using a really old fashioned uh, financial strategy, uh, which is using a whole life policy of all things to build up wealth, modernizing it basically for cash accumulation. So it gave us the chance to pack a bunch of money into this whole life contract of all things, uh, pack money into it, and then use that money to wipe out our debts. And that's how we got debt-free uh, and better than debt-free. Uh, so we use that, that strategy, which is called bank on yourself, uh, to wipe out the rest of our student loan debt. Well, and again, for, and actually this one, I'm not too clear on what a whole life policy is myself, but for listeners and myself, <laughs> what exactly is a whole life policy? How does it work? Yeah. So whole life insurance, this was news to me too. Um, you know, I, I kind of just, had kind of zipped right past that even in my studies and I had to be pointed back to it. So a whole life contract is uh, an insurance policy 
that builds wealth. So it, many, many of your guys listening might know that there's like, there's term insurance, which is like life insurance that you rent for a while. And, you know, it's sort of like renting an apartment. You know, when you have a term policy, you're, you're just paying a little bit of money for it. Uh, there's no value in it unless you croak, right? Uh, there's no equity. Like when you rent an apartment, there's no equity. Um, you can be kicked out at the end of the lease, you know, once the term is over, it expires. Um, so uh, that's term insurance and it gets more expensive the older you are. That's term insurance. Whole life insurance is more like owning a house. Uh, you've got this asset that's yours and you're putting money into it and you're building up equity. So the money in it is growing like a souped up savings account. You've got a big bucket of cash there along with the death benefit if you pass away too soon. Uh, but while you're on this side of heaven, you've got this big pile of money that you can use for any purpose, you know, buying a car, going on vacation, or in our case, paying off all of our student debt and retirement ultimately. Uh, so that's what the whole life contract is. It's been around since before the U.S. Constitution was written. I mean, a long time, you know. Uh, it's growing guaranteed every single year just in the nature of the contract. These insurance policies don't tie themselves to the stock market. Um, and so that's kind of what we were looking for. We wanted a predictable rate of return. We wanted it to be accessible money. We didn't have to wait until we were, you know, 60 years old to get the money. Like a 401k is, you know, kind of locking your money up for years. Yeah. Uh, so that's what a whole life contract is in, in short, short there. Okay. Would that strategy work for everyone? No, no, don't do this just because you heard it on a podcast is cool. Even as cool as uh, the hard thing. Um, there are some ways not to do this. Well, one, a lot of whole life out there is something I wouldn't put my own money into. It's, you know, one, it might be with an insurance company that's not built the right way, you know, uh, two, the advisor who set this up might be doing it for commission instead of to give you the best bang for your buck. So, you know, there's a lot of um, whole life out there that I wouldn't recommend. And also, honestly, Justin, there's a lot of folks who this is just not a good fit for, right? You still need to be saving money in, in this thing. It still means we're living within our means. If you're, if you're unable to save or unable to do, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month at the least, then this just won't fit, you know, just keep on keeping on, you know, um, you know, that's, that's, that's maybe who it's not a good fit for. If you just cannot put money aside or if you don't have any other windfalls coming in, um, it does mean saving for sure. Have you ever worked with someone like you just described who they're not necessarily living within their means? And if so, what sort of things did you do to help them? Yeah, if there's more month at the end of their money rather yeah. than more money at the end of the month, yeah. yeah. Um, you know what? What we do, we're not budget consultants or coaches. I, you know, I don't get into your utility bill and figure sure. out how many uh, streaming services to cut. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who do help with that. In fact, I know some people that I would refer you to if that was the case for somebody listening. Mm -hmm. um, happy to look at things. You know, I had a guy today, he, he, he and I were just chatting and he said, you know, I could probably set aside maybe a hundred bucks a month. And I was like, well, that's great. Good work. Uh, and then we got through a number of other parts of his life. And he told me that he, he had a tax <clears throat> refund every year of like 10 grand. And I'm like, you know, he was making maybe 50 grand a year. And I said, do you realize that that is your money that the government got to hold on to for 12 months and you got zero interest from them for the privilege? That's a zero interest loan to the government. 
and you gave them 10 grand that you didn't need to give them. That's awfully generous, <laughs> but maybe you could switch up your withholding at, at your employer or heck, if you really need the government to hold on to that money for you all year, just take that 10 grand and put that into a policy and that's what they're going to do. They're going to use that to pay off their car loan uh, and start saving for their future. Wow. I find so many people, I mean, my own parents are like that, like, no, we need to get the biggest tax refund possible because I don't want the government coming after me. So I feel like, like you said, people think about, I need to get rid of this problem instead of facing tomorrow's problems. So how do you help them make that shift, even though there's so much fear associated with it? Yeah. Yeah. Thinking long range is a really hard thing to do. (laughs) The, I mean, the human condition, I think, is just designed to like, I see that cupcake right in front of my face. I'm going to eat that cupcake right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that? Uh, I think it, it's built right into how we were reared as kids, honestly. I don't know what you think, Justin, here. I'd love to know your thoughts here. But I think if we're, if we're kind of raised in a condition of scarcity, uh, if we think, hey, this is the only cupcake I'm ever going to see for the next year, I'm going to gobble this cupcake down, you know, and that gets us thinking short term. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might be, I mean, not to go scuba, scuba gear deep here, but it might be our, the way we were raised as kids. I don't know. In fact, there was a uh, Harvard study done a long time ago uh, where they'd put a marshmallow in front of a kid and then tell him, hey, if you don't eat that marshmallow, I'll come back in five minutes and you get two marshmallows. And then they would like record these kids on uh, like what they would do. Half of them, whatever, would eat the marshmallow. The other half would like go nuts, going crazy, just waiting, mm-hmm. ba- barely holding on. And then they'd get that, that second marshmallow after they showed their willpower. As it turns out, that study, have you ever heard of that study before? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I, I did some digging. Apparently it had more to do with how the parents raised the kids and they're like, did the parents have good jobs and income and everything? Um, and so maybe it does. Maybe it does come down to like how the parents raise us. Um, are we able to think that and believe that we live in an abundant universe where we're able to think a little longer term mm-hmm. than just what's in front of me right now? I got to spend it right now. What's that old quote? Um, Mark Twain said it. Um, poor people. Let's see. Oh, here it is. Uh, rich people plan for three generations and poor people plan for Saturday night. <laughs> I love that so much. Good old Mark Twain. <laughs> yeah. The sad part is that we vacillate between those two mindsets. Like sometimes during the week, we're like, you know what? All I got to do is get to Saturday. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it's sad. Mm. And uh, I like what you said. Like it comes down to parenting. I'm just really curious. And I'd like to hear any more thoughts you have. Do you think there's any sort of way? Because what if you grow up, you know, your parents have this scarcity mindset but then how do you change that? So you have an abundance mindset and then you translate that onto your kids. I'm still mm, trying to figure yeah. that out. I don't know if you have any ideas or anything. Yeah. You know, we, we just did a podcast on this, so I'll, uh, I'll go through my little outline, Perfect. I guess. <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, we start, I think with the belief of scarcity, uh, and then that leads us to excuses. You know, we make an excuse. Oh yeah. You know, only, uh, rich people are all crooks or the money is the root of all evil, right? That's a belief, yeah. right? Uh, that's a belief that we have. And I don't know where you got it. I'm, I'm no Dr. Phil psychologist. So, you know, but then we have these excuses. Well, you know, the rich people just take all my money. Uh, so that's why I'm going to be poor forever. And then those excuses lead to actions. Like even when you get a pay raise, did you know this, uh, Justin, this was mind boggling to me, but 
seven out of 10 people who win the lottery are broke within five years. They go bankrupt. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that to me says their, their beliefs led to excuses. I'm not worth $10 million Mm -hmm. leading to actions. Like I'm going to spend it on all this junk that might just disappear in a year. And then ultimately our results. So that's B E A R. And we call that the bear trap beliefs, excuses, action results. So how do you get out of that? Uh, if that's the downward spiral, here's the upward spiral. Um, you know, let's start with potential. Let's start with just the belief that we all have the same potential. You know, we all, we're, we're, we may not all have the same ability, but we all have the same 24 hours in the day and we can all do something with the same 24 hours. Right. Um, and so I believe truly like the Dalai Lama says, we all have the same potential. Uh, and, and that potential leads to, um, activity activated potential is better than potential. In other words, like a rocket ship on a launch pad, man, that's, that's super cool, right? Seeing that SpaceX on on the launch pad. But if it just sat there for 10 years, I'd be pretty disappointed, right? It has all this fuel in it. It's got all this potential to get to Mars, but if it just sat there, that'd be a waste, right? I'm, yeah. um, I told my wife one time, I said, the worst thing I could have on my tombstone is he had such potential. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> you know? Such an insult kind of. Yeah, uh, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm like, potential feels like a good word in the moment, but I want activated potential. I want activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so from actions lead to results, which fuel my beliefs. Quick pause on the show, guys. So the other day, I was thinking about my finances, right? And I was crunching the numbers, and I was doing it all good. I did the spreadsheet, and man, it made me look so cool. And I was feeling so great that I just went and worked out. I did a 1,000 pull-ups. Okay, that was all a lie. But I did do a bunch of pull-ups the other day. And it wasn't after I budgeted or anything, but it was just because I wanted to. And the thing is, when you do pull-ups or push-ups or any other workout, you need the right supplements in order to take those physical exercises and turn them into gain strength and gain mass, if that's what you're looking for. So I want to offer you a 10% discount for products of One Mission Nutrition. Just go to allegiance.onemissionnutrition.com slash the hard thing podcast. You can get a 10% discount today. One Mission Nutrition is awesome because they have excellent supplements, but they also support the troops. You see, every product you buy goes towards helping make a strength box for a soldier overseas. So go get your 10% discount as well as support the troops and make sure you keep doing hard things. While you're doing that, though, I'm going to get back to the show. So I don't think we have to have this deep um, counseling session on changing all my beliefs. All I have to know is that I've got 24 hours in the day to make today just a little bit better than yesterday was. You know, maybe I start with just, heck, brushing my teeth every day or picking up my, picking up my dirty clothes and, my, and putting it away every day. Or maybe it's, you know, making that one more sales call or making, you know, one more thing happen for my boss to give me that pay raise, you know. Yeah. We're not spending, it, not spending it all on Saturday night. So it's, I don't know. Sorry for the, the deep no. talk here, Justin, but it's great I questions. Love- I love the deep talk. Um, and, and to me, it, it sounds like then basically, you know, the, the prescription for changing to a, an abundance mindset is just a little dash of hope, which is kind of interesting, especially considering the, in, the, the crisis times that we find ourselves in, you know, this belief mm-hmm. that any sort of effort could improve our situation. And I also, 
I love how you mentioned people have these mindsets like the rich are just taking money from me because I'm listening to uh, Atlas Shrugged right now. Have you ever oh, yeah. read that book? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So fascinating. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. uh, but, and you also said that you're not Dr. Phil. I've talked to a couple people who deal in finance and, and financial matters. And I'm curious, do you ever find that sometimes you're working more with helping people fix their minds rather than their money? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I think that's, that is the, the key to it all. Uh, I don't care how many zeros are in your bank account. You know, you can lose it as fast with 10 million as 10 bucks, right? Uh, it's what orientation, what direction you're pointed in that matters the most. Yeah. Um, you know, we, uh, I, I graduated with a, a degree in ministry and I thought that that would be sort of, I didn't think I'd be, uh, you know, doing that for work uh, full time. I did that for a few years volunteer, uh, part-time support raised and everything. Um, but I have noticed, to be honest, Justin, more people sharing their heart and their deepest concerns, more tissues. We go through more tissues in this office uh, now with money than we ever did doing anything in the ministry world. And that's, I believe that's because yeah, I mean, even Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven. Yeah. And there must be something important about that, uh, that whole money thing, regardless of your beliefs. That's, that's a key idea about what we, you know, what we believe. You know, it comes down to, I mean, great, we can have a great conversation, but what did you spend your money on last month? And what do you truly prioritize about the future dollars in your pocket? That's, that's really what it comes down to. Uh, yeah. And you know, I mean, that's, so for all of the concepts that we're talking about, it comes down to financial, you know, strategy and active activity. Like what are you actually doing with those, with those dollars? And that's where, again, like the hardest thing in my life was how do you, how do we pay off this debt in a way that's, you know, congruent with our values and isn't yeah. going to leave us broke in the process. I find that so fascinating that you, you are studying ministry and I'm, I'm actually curious what, led you to get that degree in the first place? Yeah. Mm. The, the, the mentors in our lives have a very, very uh, important tug on our, on our lives, especially at that crucial age of 18, 19, 20. And I just loved it, man. I loved learning uh, Hebrew, God's language, right? That's cool. <laughs> That's really cool. I love, I love learning uh, about how the human heart works and how uh, communities work together uh, to do good things in the world. Uh, I love the idea of um, how, you know, how you can change the world with a small group of people uh, and make, make that the kind of the overall emphasis of one's life, I think is a really cool thing. And, uh, you know, I, I still believe and, and see the work we do today as a ministry. Uh, you know, in fact, again, I think we have more heart-to-heart kind of conversations with people's real concerns, fears about the future, um, because I just haven't found. If I guess, I guess you could say, Justin, I really find all the things that are taboo to talk about at cocktail parties, right? Religion, <laughs> money. All I guess we have left is politics. politics. I don't know what else to talk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and life insurance. So we're talking about death. Right. So, <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah. You, yeah. I won't be invited back to the party. I guess. But all right, that's all right. Yeah, that's funny. So I guess we can expect a, a political podcast coming out from right, yeah. Mark Willis in no, the future. <laughs> not anytime soon. No thanks, man. No thanks. Amen. Yeah. I, I stay away from politics because I'm. I'm just. Anyways, we won't get into that. Yeah. Um, but as a financial planner. One of the hardest things I would assume, and you'd have to correct me if I'm wrong, 
is to be able to gain their trust enough so that you can start working through these problems and then they they believe your recommendations. So what sort of things do you do to gain your client's trust? That is a, one of the hardest things uh, to, to your title. Um, it is a hard thing. Uh, trust is not something you just automatically assume in today's world. Uh, so yeah, what do you do? How do you uh, engage people in a way that helps them know that you're on their side of the table and not looking to take their pocket? Um, one of the things I made a commitment to a long time ago is to have no cost consultations with folks. I don't need to be charging folks a big you know, dollar amount just to have a conversation. Um, I also do, you know, unlike this podcast, I try to do 90% of the listening uh, and, and less talking uh, on, on our consultations with people. Unlike the show here where I'm doing more of the yapping. Right. Uh, so <laughs> so I, I really do. I think it's in the listening. Uh, people's stress levels come down when they talk about things that are important to them. Uh, I don't need to explain complex financial strategies or how they should pay off this or that or, you know, get, I take the shoulds out of the conversation for quite a while and just really try to let them know, you know, we're there to listen, to learn, to be humble. And, um, you know, somewhere in the midst of all that, a relationship is formed uh, and we proceed one step at a time. Quick pause on the show, guys. In today's episode, I mention Atlas Shrugged, the book. And I am, at the, at the time of recording, I am listening to this book. And let me tell you, it's such a good book. For all of those out there who are very entrepreneurial mindset if you have a, if you have an entrepreneur's mindset, you are going to want to re- listen to this book or read it. Uh, I would recommend listening to it because it's very, it's a long book, really. And it'll take less time if you listen to it. Anyways. Um, because you will get a satisfaction knowing that there are other people out there like you who think about improving the world, but it doesn't always go according to plan. And in fact, sometimes people, they are jealous of you or envious of you and they try to tear you down. So hopefully you can get some strength from Atlas Shrugged. And I want to give you a chance to get Atlas Shrugged for free. Just go to audibletrial.com slash the hard thing podcast, get a free audiobook. It can be any book that they have. They have over 180,000 titles, but go to audibletrial.com slash the hard thing podcast get your free audiobook today. But while you're doing that, let's get back to the show. Well, so it sounds like then being a financial planner is not as much about finances as most people would think, but a lot more as far as the ratio goes about relationship as well. Um, and, and I find that very fascinating. And you, you mentioned listening. That's something that ironically I struggle with. (laughs) Um, So what are some tips or or strategies or techniques that you'd suggest to someone to help them be better listeners? Well, Justin, I'd actually say you're a great listener. So if anyone wants to, you know, just emulate Justin, what he's doing, (laughs) great questions, start a podcast, call it the hard thing part two and just do what he does. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I honestly um, make a practice of listening uh, give yourself uh, a couple of key questions that you would want to, you know, tie your questions or uh, guide the conversation. But mostly, it's just learning to to follow your curiosity mm-hmm. and let the let the guest or the person you're speaking to have a, have the floor to to take the conversation where they might want to take it. Uh, and yeah, listen for those key emotion words. Having uh, discussions with thousands of people. It is about listening. It is about relationship. I'd say it's also about, you know, the practicals, you know, it's about 
being a financial planner is a lot of fun because you get to blend the human uh, concepts of the human heart with practical, real tools. You know, uh, again, Tiger Woods can dive deep into his his history and and his his family trauma and whatever else, but he still has to hit that ball down the fairway, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So, what are the tools, tactics, and approaches where we can move our money in the direction we want it to go? and deal with the person that's dealing with that money so that they become the kind of person who can keep the wealth once they earn it. Um, no good in building a big financial plan if they're just going to spend it um, and, uh, and not point themselves in the right direction on things that they you know, want to achieve in life. Yeah. So yeah, listening is about you know, finding the emotion words, asking great questions, and then being willing to let the conversation sort of take on a life of its own. Wow. That was uh, excellent, uh, especially the, the part about being willing to let the conversation take on a mind of its own. I think that's something that personally I struggle with sometimes um, just in my conversations day to day. So I think that's really good advice. And again, I just love pulling these phrases out. You said we want the people we work with to be the kinds of people that can keep the wealth. And yeah. I think that's something that most people don't realize. They think, you know, I just need to make a lot of money, but they don't put it together that you need to be the kind of person that can make and keep a lot of money. Yeah. So, you know, one of the, speaking of tools you can use and take away from this episode, guys, just think about your income for a minute and okay. Got that number in your mind. Okay. Now add a zero to your income and just look at that number for a minute. Okay. Now think about all of the money you might spend in the month and then cut that number in half. And then imagine, okay, got that? All right, so we've got, we 10x our income and we cut our expenses by 50%. Now, how much could you save with, if that was the truth, right? If that was your real money? Like, could you save 50 grand a month, right? Could you save 500 grand a month? I don't know. I mean, you know your numbers more, but is it possible? And who is the kind of person that might do something that crazy? Uh, so go about being, you know, having the skills, having the personality, having the disposition uh, to being the kind of person that you want to become and you'll start being that person. It's funny how, yeah, you start acting your way into a new way of beliefs. Again, potential, action, results, belief. It's, it goes in that order, in my opinion. That's the upward bound cycle. Well, that is an excellent exercise that I think we we can do with not just money, you know, fine, uh, fitness, we could do it with yeah. relationships. Um, and I think we should do that very often. One question that I'd like to ask, I'm just a curiosity, how would you define wealth? Yeah, yeah, it is, it is sort of a slippery term because, you know, it, I don't care. It really is okay if someone wanted to, to live in an RV and, and let their life expenses be super low. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's great. You don't need, you know, to be living on a beach someday. Somebody told me they wanted to, you know, uh, I asked them, what's their picture of retirement? And they said, well, I want to be, you know, sipping a cocktail, laying on a beach all day long. <laughs> and I said, no, that's okay. Great. That let's, let's live that out for at least 48 hours. Okay. So you, you have a great day on the beach the first day you are as pale as I am. So after that first day, you're going to be burnt to a crisp and hung over. So what are you doing on day two of your retirement? And he's like, oh, you know, actually you're right. I don't really want that for my life for 30 years. Uh, so yeah, um, you know, to, wealth is a very um, custom specific word. Uh, and I would say that it's, it's having 
having the kind of life that you are not beholden to others. Back to Atlas Shrugged a little bit there. You want to be the kind of person that is free, not just in terms of money, but in terms of what you can do and the kind of person you are and the kind of world you want to influence. I'd say wealth in its basic form is just influence. Uh, Guys, money isn't going to solve your problem. It's just going to make you more of who you already are. So if you're a jerk and you get a ton of money, you're just going to be a huge jerk. (laughs) And if you're a great guy, great person wanting to influence the world for good and you make a ton of money, then we're all going to be better off for it. Mm -hmm. So focus on being the kind of person who can um, keep the wealth and more importantly, do the right thing with the wealth. So if you want to give away your wealth someday, start by giving away a little bit of it right now and just try it out for a while. That is excellent advice. Um, now I kind of want to shift. I, I know we have a little bit of time left, but I kind of want to shift towards just business in general. You started your own practice or I guess, is it a firm or a practice? I don't mm-hmm. yeah. practice. Both. Sure. <laughs> Synonyms, um, I guess. Yeah. Had you ever started a business before or, or done anything like that? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, you know, it was actually a cool story because uh, before we started this financial firm, I was in the what we call the employee mindset. Hmm. And I don't know if you've read Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, Rich said poor dad. I haven't read yeah. Cashflow Quadrant yet. You, you guys might be familiar with it, uh, Justin. Uh, if you haven't, I'd recommend it. It's pretty simple. Um, you know, there's kind of four mindsets. There's ESBI. So there's the employee mindset, the entrepreneur, small business owner, S. B is kind of business owner, right? Big businesses. And then investor is just uh, uh, someone who's investing passively for, for yield mm-hmm. and cash. So I was living, and most of us do, for at least I did uh, growing up, in the employee mindset. And it was none other but that than my uh, gorgeous wife who got me thinking outside that box. Uh, it was another light bulb matrix kind of moment. You know, I, I remember I was trying to apply for jobs at Chase Bank, or I don't know if we're supposed to name names on this show, but it doesn't you know, matter. Uh, all right, right on. Uh, well, you know, uh, a big blue bank. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and just kind of doing the financial thing, sitting there behind the plastic desk and, you know, um, live my, live my career there. Um, and then I realized, wow, no, I could take more control over my life based on what my wife kind of gave me. I grew up with the, I think all kids are kind of entrepreneurs a little bit at heart. You know, I don't know about (laughs) you, Justin, did you have anything that you did like entrepreneurial as a kid? Yeah. So, uh, when we were younger, me and my best friend, he has been a great influence on me. He's very entrepreneurial and whatnot, but, uh, he learned to program computer games more or less from a young age. So, uh, we wanted to make a computer game studio and we went down under, underneath our stairs with, he found a typewriter anyways. Now, so that was, we never actually sold anything, but our minds were going in that direction. Wow. Right on. So you guys had uh, you guys had a typewriter. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where stairs. he found it. Yeah. It was like Harry Potter, so cool. you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Well, and, and I don't know when you grew up, but like we didn't have, uh, we didn't have anything that cool. I mean, it was like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we were selling like cartoons and, and paper mazes that we would make and right. that sort of funny, uh, no, yeah. you know, shoveling snow in Indiana, that sort of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but wow, that's so cool. I'm, I'm imagining little Justin under the stairs, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, change in the world. <laughs> exactly. I mean, <laughs> but I, where did we lose that? Right? Was it the, the education system? Was it just 
you know, hey, you can't, you can't be your own boss. I mean, somewhere along the way, we all were taught to, to just shut up, be the factory worker and plug those hours in. And yeah, thanks to my wife, kind of got me thinking outside the box a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of a mentor situation there, but um, it's so often that our significant others point out just, hey, things could be different, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I and man, you, you bring up a good point, Justin, like um, it would have been a very different life had it not been for a very supportive spouse along the way. I mean, it's not easy starting a business in the midst of paying off your debts and not to mention a very counterintuitive way to pay off the debt and also to introduce this strategy of to other people and uh, to talk about things that are not so average right? Uh, in the financial universe, been a lot easier if I just told everyone to sock money into a 401k, right? Yeah. Uh, so without a supportive spouse, you know, I'd probably still be, you know, pushing the blue punch card every day. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have enjoyed this conversation immensely. Unfortunately, we don't have all day, you know, I know you have kind of a, a hard stop. So um, let me ask you the last couple of questions I ask all my guests. Based on our conversation today, what one to three action items would you give our audience to do today or this week to improve their lives? You know, if if you didn't already try it, um, pull the car over. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I say that because you're going to be writing a thing down here, but sometime either, either when you get home or whatever, but in the next 24 hours, literally try writing this down. What is your income? Add a zero to it. Then divide your expenses by two. And if you've never ever... Uh, total up what your real expenses are. Um, you know, there's a there's lots of ways to do it, but um, you could even use budget software, uh, and I'll recommend that in a minute. But that's the first action is to try that little thought experiment just to get our brains thinking bigger, right? Ex- escape the the flea jar a little bit, and then uh, the second piece is check out uh, YNAB, which is you need a budget dot com. You need a budget dot com. Uh, I'm not uh, connected with them in any way, but they've got a great software for just covering those expenses. It's a really cool, intuitive way to think different about your budget. Uh, And then three, um, you know, hey, think, be willing to think different because if you follow the herd, you're going to get slaughtered. Uh, We just saw this in the markets last week as we're recording this in the middle of March. If you follow the herd, you're going to be slaughtered. So if you can think different about your money and try different things, like we, of all places, we put our money into a weird you know, old fashioned whole life policy that we just plowed money into and it got us debt free better than debt free. Right. Um, because it's still earning interest for us, even on that capital we use to pay off all our debts. So if you're willing to think different, um, try it out, find a one or two mentors, don't get too many mentors, but just find a few that you can really chase after and, and, uh, um, you know, you'll see your life change as a, as a result. Excellent. And then, Mark, how can our audience reach out to you, connect with you, and support what you're up to? Yeah, thanks. The you know the strategy that we work on, we work on with lots of folks, whether you're debt, paying off debts or just wanting to save for the future. Uh, and I found the best way to get in touch with us is a website we set up. It's called freedomfromwallstreet.com. It's uh, freedomfromwallstreet.com. Uh, that website will get you right in touch with me, any number of our colleagues, and uh, hey, what kind of dog do you have, by the way? Um, that is, uh, gosh, it is English cream, it looks like. 
Oh, cool. Yeah, that's what I think it is. It's my, right. yeah, anyways, so. Right on, cool. So yeah, freedom, freedomfromwallstreet.com is our favorite place to get in touch. We can do a 15-minute phone call with you if this has been of interest to you. Uh, and if you want to hear more about weird ideas and learn more about these strategies I mentioned and just dive deeper into uh, some of these concepts, you can go to our website, uh, uh, freedomfromwallstreet.com. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate you being on the show with us. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, we had some laughs and I enjoyed your perspectives. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. So thanks so much. All right, man. Keep doing the hard thing. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to the show, guys. It was an amazing episode, as you already know. And again, if you know someone who could benefit from the episode, share it with them on Facebook, Instagram, whatever social media you'd like. I know they would appreciate it. Also reach out to us on Facebook and Instagram at The Hard Thing Podcast, as well as check us out on our website, thehardthingpodcast.com and see what we're up to. But I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I really hope it's helping. Let me know what works, what doesn't work, what you guys like. Uh, I'm here for you. I really want you guys to improve your lives. So reach out. If you have any questions, let me know. I, I'd love to connect. But until then, guys, keep doing hard things because you will overcome average. Hey guys, one quick announcement for today's show, and you might have heard this already, even in today's episode, but uh, I have an awesome opportunity for you guys once in a lifetime you have the opportunity to have dinner with myself and a covert CIA operative. That's right, an undercover spy. Uh, my guest, Andrew Bustamante, has been gracious enough to offer himself up <laughs> uh, as guest for a dinner with myself and one lucky audience member. So if you want to sign up for that, make sure you hit the link in the show notes below. As well, you can go to Instagram and hit the link in my bio at The Hard Thing Podcast. This is first come, first serve, and there's only one slot. So whoever signs up first will have the opportunity to come to Utah and have dinner with myself and Andrew Bustamante. It's an exciting opportunity. It's one that you'll be able to brag about to your friends of being able to sit down having dinner with an undercover secret agent. So don't waste any time. Go ahead and sign up in the link in the show notes or go to Instagram at The Hard Thing Podcast and click the link in my bio and you'll find all the relevant information there. Uh, so look forward to having dinner with you.